0: Well, good morning. It's an honor to be with you all this morning. If you will open your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, the first 15 verses. Memorable passage of Scripture for those who know the Old Testament well and some of those stories. So I'm going to begin reading with ver- in verse 1. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, he answered. Do not come any closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, uh, Hivites, and Jebusites. So because the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, And I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, go. I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses asked God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He answered, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Then Moses asked God, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me what is his name, what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. Let's pray once more. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. This is one of those passages of scripture that I'm always nervous to to preach on. Um, I always get a little bit nervous whenever I preach because I believe in the, the power of God's word. Because I know my own weaknesses and my sins and my failures. Uh, because I want to faithfully represent the word of God so that you hear his voice uh, through me when I preach. That's what we're, we're hoping to hear whenever someone preaches, whenever someone stands there. And all of those are, rea- all of those are realities that are present whenever someone is opening God's word. And, and, uh, but, but even when I'm really enthusiastic about the message, as I, as I am this morning... Uh, um, there are truths in this passage of Scripture uh, that, that make me feel like the only appropriate response is to just sit there with my mouth shut. Uh, in awe. Because this passage in particular, it's as if each word in this passage is leading us deeper and deeper into the reality of God. And so I I struggle here for words, and I'm a writer. <laughs> I'm not supposed to struggle for words. But sometimes a passage like this, it's like being it's like being drawn toward the sun. Like you 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 can't take in the brightness, and, and you 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 run out of words to, to describe the heat. And and God's representation of himself becomes so utterly astounding. You just have to shut up, you know? What God reveals about himself in this passage, it stands in stark contrast to what a lot of people in our society think about God. When you look at surveys, you find that most Americans today, they believe in God. Uh, Most believe in a, a, a heavenly afterlife of some sort. And... If you look at the surveys, you'll find that most Americans believe they have a belief system that goes something like this. Uh, There is a God who made the world. This God doesn't get too involved in your life unless you want him to, unless you you have a a, a pressing need to, to bring to him. And it doesn't really matter what you believe about God as long as you are sincere, as long as you turn out to be a nice person who is kind and decent to others. Because, you know, that's the whole point of religion, right? Just to make you nice and moral, and if you follow the rules and you do the right things, and, you you know, as long as you try hard in life, you'll make it to to heaven. No worries. I've just described the dominant belief system of most people, including, in the surveys, uh, including those who go to church week after week. And that belief system, what I just described there, that belief system is blown up by what we read in this passage. Just completely blown up. When God reveals himself to Moses in a burning bush, he shows us us the gap between the truth about God and the lies that our society believes about him. So, so this morning, we're going to look in more detail at this passage, and we're going to look at the, the fiery God of Exodus 3. The God who reveals himself and who, who blows up our, our idols. You know, idols, those, those, those gods that we make in our own image. The, the gods we, we want to believe exist, but don't. And so we're going to see that this morning. Now, I normally, normally when I preach, I, I have my sermon outlined in points, but uh, today I don't. Uh, we're just going to work our way back through the text, and we're going to be stopping and starting as we go. But before we do that, I just want us to, to put it, uh, to, 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 to put this passage in context and just back up and remember what has taken place so far in the book of Exodus. So if you know the story of, of Exodus, God's people are in slavery to Egypt. And the Egyptian king, the Pharaoh, was brutal, he was relentless in, a, in his oppression of God's people, to the point that he ordered the Israelites to throw their baby boys into the Nile River to be drowned. And one Israelite woman set her son in a basket on the Nile, and it drifted to the palace. And the daughter of Pharaoh found the basket with the baby, named him Moses, and raised him in Egypt. And when Moses grew up, he saw how his people were oppressed and he decided to take matters into his own hands. And he killed an Egyptian who was beating a slave. And then in order to escape punishment, he he fled to the wilderness and he settled down and he got married and he became a shepherd. And for 40 years, he's just been tending sheep. The days of Egypt and the heartache of his people. Those are decades behind him now. But God hasn't stopped listening to the cries of his people. And here's where the story picks up. So let's start back at the beginning of the passage. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning up? Now, Moses knows that something is going on, right? He is, he's baffled by this bush that is burning, yet won't burn up. And he's, he's curious. I mean, there's something... There's something in the strangeness of the sight that compels him to say, well, this is remarkable. I want to know more. And before we go any further, just notice how Moses' encounter with God begins. It's the strangeness of the sight, not the commonness of the sight, that compels Moses to draw near the bush. Mystery attracts him. This is... Weird. It's not normal. And the weirdness is what gets his attention. Now, why is this important? Because human beings love to take God and we love to tailor him and to fashion him in our image. We'd love to have a God who affirms the general direction of our lives, and a God who doesn't say anything, Uh, Too unexpected, a God who doesn't ask too much of us, a God who is easygoing, a God who is empty of all mystery. And there are a lot of people who think that the way for the church to grow is to just show everyone how in step we are with the culture around us. That if we can just show everyone that, you know, we Christians, we're not that different, we're not that out of step with the times. You know, if we do that, then we'll just we'll gather more people. We just need to show people how how amazing God is, how culturally relevant God is, how how common, normal, and reasonable the gospel is, and then and then people will join up. People will join us. No, this text shows us the opposite. It's the strangeness of God. The the utter incomprehensibility of the scene. That's what draws Moses. It's not because God is just like us that makes us want to draw near, but the fact that he is so different, so holy, so separate, so weird. If you're here this morning and you're a guest and you don't consider yourself a Christian, I know I, on behalf of everyone else in this church, would want to say welcome to you, that we're glad you're here. But I'll say one of the reasons that I'm glad you're here is that you actually help those of us who have been familiar with the Christian faith for a long time to see our beliefs with fresh eyes. You help us see just how, how strange it is that we sing so much, like we did this morning, about sacrifice about God's glory, or about being washed in the blood of a slaughtered animal. You help us see how incredible the miracles are that we read about in our Bibles. You help us feel how how different our views of, of money or sexuality or power are in comparison with what you'll find in most places across the country. And you help us remember that It's not intuitive to believe that a crucified man from the first century has been raised from the dead and he now demands allegiance from everyone in the world. That's kind of strange. Listen to this quote from a a translator of many classic uh, works from the ancient world, Sarah Rudin. She says, this is how she describes the beginning of Christianity. She says, Christianity arose when a small group of Jews became convinced that their leader, a poor and relatively uneducated man from the tiny town of Nazareth, a backwater of the backwater Galilee, whom the Romans had tortured to death as a troublemaker, had risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, thus delivering mankind from sin and death, and that this was the point of all existence in the universe. As unscientific as it makes us seem, I and two billion-plus other people in the world say, of course. I love that quote because it shows something that is amazing about the gospel. For 2,000 years, people have been hearing this strange and exciting good news, the gospel, and have found their lives transformed as a result. And so if you're here and you're not a believer today, just know that we want that for you too. For everyone here this morning. So the way that Moses' encounter starts The mystery here reminds us that it is not what is normal that attracts attention. It's what is abnormal, what is strange and fresh. And if we give up the essential truths of Christianity in order to to be culturally relevant, well, we actually make ourselves irrelevant. And even worse, I would say, I think we make the church boring when we do that. The world needs a church that does more than offer an echo of its times. And so do the Christians here. I ask, Is there enough strangeness in your life? Is there enough in your life that would make you compelling to the people around you who don't follow Jesus? Is there anything about your life that is so different it would attract attention? How you spend your money, how you spend your time, how you live morally, how you engage the world, how you forgive. Standing out is what draws attention, not fitting in. Well, let's read on, verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Okay now, so the scene gets stranger, doesn't it? The bush starts talking. <laughs> or better said, God begins to speak from the bush. But, and, he, and he issues this, this personal call to Moses. Now, what's going on here? Well, a lot of theologians think, and, and, and Bible scholars have said, that the fiery flames that won't run out, it, it, that this signifies that God is inexha- inexhaustible. Like the picture of the scene right there is saying something about God that the God of the universe is totally self sustaining, he never runs out of fuel. And the fact that it's fire, well, that's a sign of holiness. That this God is set apart. Uh, you know how important it is to keep fire separate from everything, right? I mean, you you got to keep it under the, under the rack in the grill or it's going to burn your burgers to a crisp. I know this from first-hand experience with a grill that we have that is really way too old, but it's one of those built-ins and it's really hard to replace. And now the the, the, the way that the, the flames, the gas grill, the way the flames were coming out, it, it's like it, it, it's beginning to, to rust a bit and so the flames are really high in certain parts of the grill. I've had to become very skilled not just at grilling, but grilling on this particular grill because of the way the fire is. Uh, you know you've got to keep fire contained in a certain way. And you've got to keep it contained in the fireplace, in your home. Otherwise, it's going to spread all throughout your house. Fire is wonderful, but fire is dangerous. Think about the, the bonfires that you've been around in your life. You know, you, especially on like a cold and chilly night. You want to stand near the fire and warm yourself, right? But at the same time, you don't want to get too close. So you may singe your eyebrows. You're drawn to the fire, but you're endangered by the fire too. And so we see here that Moses begins to draw near, right? The bush is burning. He's curious, and God tells him to stop, not to come any closer. If the fire is meant to give us a picture of what God is like, this makes perfect sense. The fire draws Moses closer, but then there's a point at which Moses must stop and he must prepare himself before going any further, there's a point where Moses on his own is threatened by the fire that has attracted him. You know, God is like that. People come to God, they're drawn to him because his utter holiness and his strangeness is compelling. But as soon as you get near, it threatens you. Right? You feel curious. But suddenly you're threatened. And in that moment, you feel shrunken in light of his greatness. You feel stripped down before his knowledge. You feel dim compared to his glory. You feel unworthy in light of his perfection. And the facade that you've created where you feel important and good, well, it just crumbles before the fire of God that that strips you to the core of your being. The illusion that you are in control, that you are powerful, that you are free, that you are in charge of your life, well, the fire of God just burns that up. And God says, Moses, stop. Don't come any closer. Take off your shoes because you are standing on holy ground. Now, the big takeaway here is that we can only come to God on his terms, not ours. We don't create a God in our image and then worship Him how we like. We see the God who made us in His image and then worship Him how He commands. Worship, worship isn't about doing what you want for God. It's about doing what He commands. You draw near to God in the way that He prescribes. I mean, just imagine. It does it happen. Moses, the shepherd, in that scene, God says, don't come any closer, take off your shoes. And Moses would have said something like, well, my God never tells me to stop doing stuff that I like. He's really cool, and I just feel him close to me all the time. And, you know, he just helps me out in my day-to-day life, and I don't really feel the need to take off my shoes. Well, if that had happened, then the fire that didn't consume the bush would have consumed the shepherd. Moses would have been dead. No question. Now, thankfully, Moses was smart enough to recognize that this God who was calling him was utterly separate, and he better take him seriously. And so what does he do? He takes off his sandals, and Moses moved forward. And it says he was afraid to look on God's face. Until you feel threatened by God's holiness, you've not truly encountered him. A lot of people say they have an experience with God of some sort, but if your experience with God has never led you to take him seriously, to be a little frightened, to stand in awe at his majesty, well, then I'd say you haven't had an experience, a true experience with the living God. Because this is a tough guy. I mean, he's a shepherd. Shepherds were tough. This is someone who's killed a man before, right? And yet before the power of God, he's undone. He is humbled. And you see, this is what is necessary before God can use Moses. Serving the Lord starts with God being holy and you being humbled. That's where it starts. You won't get anywhere until you've gotten there. And this feeling of being of being drawn to God's mystery and yet frightened by his majesty, well, that's a sign that you're actually dealing with the true God and not an idol that you've made in your image. I think C.S. Lewis captured this truth well when he wrote in the, the Chronicles of Narnia that, that Aslan, the great lion, was not someone you feel safe around. Those of you that know the stories remember that, where it says safe, who said anything about safe? the book says. He's a lion after all. He's not a tame lion, but he is good. And that's exactly why Aslan is such a compelling figure in literature. Because he's, he's a lion with a ferocious roar that can burst your eardrums. But he's also the lion whose mane you can bury your head in and cry out all your tears of sorrow. God is like that. He is untamable, unfathomable, unexplainable, but forever and always good. That's the all-powerful fire of God. Dangerous to burn you, but good to warm you. And as you live the Christian life, there should be times that you feel a little afraid of what God might ask of you. Frightened to think of handing your whole life over to him. You may be at times surprised by the sacrifice you feel like God is asking you to make, and yet at the same time, you are utterly compelled by his majesty and glory to where you can't get enough and you want more and more of him. That that double feeling of being compelled and frightened, that's what marks a true encounter with God. Let's pick up in verse 7. It says, Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, Hethites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. So because the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, and I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them, therefore go, I am sending you to Pharaoh, so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. You know, many people think that God is distant, that God is passive. I mean, he may get involved in Humanity, or in life or in the world from time to time if it's really necessary, but a lot of people keep God at a distance. He's there when you need him, but we kind of want to keep him at arm's length. Uh, He mainly just stays away and does his things, and he generally lets things progress however we want. But that is not the biblical picture. God is not distant. Uh, He's not a divine butler who just shows up whenever you call him. Uh, He is... Uh, active, constantly. He's involved with our lives. This is the reason we call on him in the first place. And God tells Moses right here, he says, I am responding to the people's cries for help. I am responding to their call. God is involved and active. He's not distant and passive. You know, truth be told, I think a lot of people like the idea of a distant and passive God. Because it means you can lean on God whenever you need him or whenever you want some kind of therapeutic or emotional comfort, but you don't have to pay much more attention to him and you don't have to obey his commands in life. But the true God of the universe doesn't exist for our purposes, we exist for his He is not distant and passive. He is actively involved in the world that he has made, and especially when it comes to his people. So even in situations where it seems like he may be absent, and I'm sure there were many people in Israel at that time that felt like God had left them, that God was absent. When it may seem like he is silent, and there may be times in your life where you feel like God has gone away, that he is silent, even in those moments, this passage shows us he is involved. He is compassionate. He decides to respond to the cries of his people. And this truth should lead us to pray. To pray. You say, why prayer? Well, because prayers, because we believe that God is involved and requests our involvement in what he's doing. Because the prayers that we say actually accomplish something, they move God to act. God chooses to respond to our praying. How awesome and amazing is that? And what's more, God chooses to act through a messenger. God doesn't just, notice, God doesn't just tell Moses, hey, here's what I'm up to, buddy. I just wanted to let you know what I'm about to do. No. He revealed his plan, and then he says, therefore, go. I'm sending you, right? Right? So, so basically, God says, this is what I'm going to do for the people. and then I'm re- But I'm revealing this plan, Moses, because I want you to be involved in this plan. You're going to be part of this plan. So don't miss this. The plan of God involves the people of God. He stuns us with his holiness and love, and then he sends us out with his truth and grace. He calls us to salvation. And then he commissions us for his service. So God is choosing to act through a messenger, through Moses. His plan is to use people to save people. And that's always been his plan. And that's what happened. That's what happened when he sent his only son to rescue us. He didn't, God didn't rescue us from a distance, but from the up close and personal horror of a Roman cross. He is involved. And to not see this about God is to miss one of the major displays of his glory. If we don't see this about God, we just make him into this idol that we can put on a shelf. And we can just make, well, he's just a source of counsel whenever we need advice. Or he's this God that we can manage somehow. Or I guess it's a God we can get benefit from whenever we need it. But that is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is active. He loves. He woos. He cares. He cares. He hears, he responds, he calls. And let's read on to see what Moses said after he was called. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He answered, I will certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. So Moses's first question, who am I? Okay, that makes sense. He feels insecure. He feels mediocre. I mean, wouldn't you? <laughs> God is speaking to you from a burning bush and has told you not to come any closer until you remove your sandals and whatnot. He's on holy ground, all of that. I mean, I would feel mediocre. I would feel insecure. He lacks trust in himself. He recognizes he doesn't have credentials. He knows he doesn't have a strong reputation. It makes sense that he would feel inadequate to the task. But watch how God responds. I will be with you. Listen, God never calls you to his service without promising you his presence. You know what the world's response would be to Moses in that moment? If that were to happen in our culture today, I know what the, if there were friends or people around, family members, people around Moses in that moment and, and, and he feels insecure he feels like he can't do something or he's inadequate, you know what the world would say. Moses, you're amazing. You can do this. Just go for it. But notice that what God does differently. God doesn't combat Moses' feelings of inadequacy by pumping him full of self-esteem. No, he turns the attention to himself and he pumps Moses full of God-esteem. He says, I'll be there with you. Notice God doesn't say, oh, Moses, you can do this because you're awesome. He says, no, Moses, you can do this because I'm awesome. And that changes everything. Now, at first, Moses was questioning his own strength, but from this point on, and there are several objections that Moses raises that we won't get to in this sermon because they come later in the passage, but Moses starts to question God's God's strength as well. And every time he raises an objection, he's demonstrating a lack of faith, not in himself, but in God. And now the next question comes that prompts the revelation of God's name. Verse 13, then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. So God answers with his covenant name. A name so holy that the Hebrews would never ever pronounce it. I am who I am. God is the one who is always present, active and involved, fully independent, self-sufficient, utterly sovereign, inexhaustible and all-encompassing, eternal, powerful. This God now reveals his infinity to a shepherd. Aphrahat, a writer who lived in the 200s A.D., believed that there was a cosmic reaction when God made this statement. He wrote 1,800 years ago, when the Holy One called Moses from the bush, he said thus to him, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When death heard this utterance, he trembled and feared and was terrified and perturbed, and knew that he had not become king forever over the children of Adam. Theologian Catherine Sonderegger puts it this way, the I am, the one, reveals his great mystery, the life beyond all thought, and his own self-naming and presence to Moses, the fiery one who cannot be contained. And then she adds this, she said, this name is the great explosion at the very center of Scripture, Here is the fiery eruption of the divine subject uttering its own ineffable name. When Jesus utters this name, I am, in the night of his trial, in the darkness of Gethsemane, the soldiers fall down as dead. The explosion at the heart of Scripture has been said in their hearing. And this is the explosion that destroys all of our idols. God names himself. The awesome Majestic, holy God of the universe reveals himself personally to Moses. And as we stand on this side of the cross, we know Jesus as the great I am, the one who embodied the love and holiness of God and then surrendered his body to the cross so that we might be set free. Jesus was stripped of more than just his sandals. He was stripped of all of his clothes so that we could approach the throne room of God in his righteousness and have full access to this, the most wondrous being in the universe. The bush is still burning this morning. God is here. He is calling us, maybe calling you personally, by name, just as he called out to Moses. Through his word, he's calling you to come to him. The same I am who revealed his power to Moses is the I am who revealed his grace on the cross. And it is only through Jesus that you can know this God of ultimate power and love. So take off your sinful sandals and approach the holy God of grace with confidence through the cross, where the fire of God's wrath against sin was extinguished by Jesus' sacrificial love. And here's here's where I run out of words. All I can call us to is to look intently into the mystery of God, that we pray for God to mesmerize our hearts with his glory. That we pray for God to draw people to him and overcome their worries and anxieties and fears. And that we learn to pant after this, the most beautiful being in the universe. And that we be totally captivated and ravished by this beauty we savor that sets us free. Until we are gripped by God in all of his glory, we will never be sent out by God in all of his grace. Would you pray with me? Father Almighty, we approach you this morning only through the blood and merits of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Father, for your Spirit who indwells us, who seals us, who is the one who has given us salvation. We pray, Father, that this morning you would take these words of truth from Exodus and you would implant them deep into our hearts, that you would bear fruit from this implanted truth in us so that we would be those who have a true encounter with you and those who lead others to a true encounter with the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Amen. We're just gonna see. It.